on Rosh Hashanah after the Tkiah Shafer the minig is that the Sibur sings together a beautiful nigan and it goes Hayayim Haras Eilam today is the birthday of the world today is the day that the world was created and if you were a little bit of a historian you would probably jump up in the middle of that nigan and say it's just not true Rosh Hashanah is absolutely not the day that the world was created. The actual world that the day that the world was created is Chafei Elul. Chafei Elul was the day that the world was created. Why are we singing on Rosh Hashanah that today is the birthday of the world when it's just not so? Shemekah Machah. It's not true. It's not the Hayyim HaRasem, it's not the birthday. And of course the answer is that although Chaf El is really the birthday of the world, but it's not. Rosh Hashanah is. Because on Rosh Hashanah, Adam was created. The day that man was created was in fact the day that the world was created. Because the world was not created for the sun, it wasn't created for the moon and the stars and the galaxies, not even for the fish and the birds. The world was created for you and me. The world was created for Adam Harishain. When Adam was created, that was in fact the Hayyim Harasalam. The world's birthday is properly marked on Rosh Hashanah, not on Chafayelo. Because when man was formed, that was the world. The world is nothing else but a place for man. If man is successful, then the world is successful. If man is not successful, then there's absolutely no purpose in the world's existence. On Rosh Hashanah, we mark the existence of man and man's primary role in creation. And let's go back to the beginning of time. Let's go back to that first day, the birthday of the world, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu made Adam. He made Adam with two words. When he announced so memorably, Nasa Adam, let us make man. Let us make man Who's us? Ese Adam. Let I make man, HaKadosh Baruch Hu should say. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should say, I'm making man. Who is us? Chas v'shalom, are there more than one Rabbani Shalom's that they're collaborating about an existence of man, about a creation of a man? What's Nasa Adam? But yet HaKadosh Baruch Hu uses that term, Nasa Adam. 
And Rashi is bothered by this term. And Rashi says there on Chumash and Bereshis, Even though that the Malachim to whom HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Nasa Adam, they didn't in any way assist HaKadosh Baruch Hu in creating man. This is on Ikr Sheba Ikrim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bechvaydai Ba'atmai created man. He had no assistance. He didn't need assistance. So why would he say Nasa Adam? And Rashi continues and he says that even though that by saying a Lashon of Nasa Adam, he leaves open room for Minim, for Apikursim to have a field day. Ah, Nasa Adam, you see, I told you. He still used the Lashon of Nasa Adam. And the reason for this is to teach us their Acheretz and Anava that a Gadol should be Nimlach Venaita Rishus Minakatan. That when we are making decisions, we should not be making decisions unilaterally. We should always reach out and discuss it with other people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kaviyachal needs anyone's help in discussing anything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Bariyelam, he's the Kalyachal, he's the Einzayf. Does he need the Malachim's collaboration? Does he need their consensus? Absolutely not. But he's teaching us their Acheret that this is the way we should be. We should always confer with other people. We should never decide something on our own. That's Gaiva. There's a Mishnah and Aves, just parenthetically, that says that Taif Shabaraitam Gehenim. The best of doctors will go to Gehenim. Now this is not a this is not something that uh, people that are going pre med would probably like to hear. This is not a Mishnah that you would want to read about. The best I want to go to medical school for ten years of my life to be a doctor. And what's awaiting me when I die? Gehenim. Oh, okay, that's a good idea. I want to have Gehenim in this world, and then I want to have Gehenim in the next world. That's, that really appeals to me. What does that mean, Taif Shebrei from Gehenim? So the Taisus Yantiv says, and Mary did a good thing. He says, it doesn't mean all doctors. Doctors are wonderful people, and they do L'Shem Shemayim, and they save people's lives, and make people healthy, of course, they're Bnei Elon Haba. But the Taisus Yantiv says, you know why it's Taif Shabarei from Gehenim? It's Dafka. The best of doctors go to Gehenim. The number one, the ones that make it in New York Magazine, you know, the top doctors. Every doctor's office has top doctors, and that, that doctor, your doctor, was picked to be the top doctor. It took me many years to realize that it's a scam. Any doctor will tell you this. You pay a certain amount of money, and they'll put you in also. And that way you put in your doctor's office that I'm the best doctor, but it's just uh, you pay your, your dues and that's why you're the best doctor. There's no real definitive list of who the best doctors are. But let's say you are Taka, the best doctor. Let's say you are the best cardiologist in the world. And now all of a sudden you have a case that came before you, a, a patient, and you look at the x-ray and you say, wow, I, I never saw such a strange deformity in the heart. I never saw such a thing. I don't know how to go forward. What you should do is pick up a phone or email other doctors that maybe did see it. Maybe the doctors in your hospital didn't see it, but maybe doctors elsewhere saw it. Maybe there's a doctor in, uh, in Israel that knows about this situation. Or, or maybe there's a doctor in, in, in London. 
Will you do that? I can't do that. Because I'm the best cardiologist in the world. Everybody knows that I'm top. And so if I lower myself and I confer and I I, I, I ask another doctor what he thinks, and that might be a prisak of Now he's a top doctor. Because look, I'm going to him now. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just go for the surgery, I'm going to try to do it, I'm going to botch, I'm going to kill the, kill the guy. Taif Shevaraitham again is specifically the best doctors who have so much gaiva that they can't lower themselves to consult with others. That is a doctor that's going to Gehenim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is teaching us that here. Naseh Adam. I always have to be nimlach, the night of Rosh Hashanah, and I have to go and ask, what do you think? Malachim, do you think it's a good idea to create man? Now, Malachim might not be too happy with man, because man is a very great feature in the world. And man is so great that even Malachim feel a little bit competition from Adam, believe it or not. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with his great midah, of Anava shows us how to be Anavim. Shows us how to always go and consult with other people before we make a critical decision. Go and ask somebody else. Go and ask a Gadol. Go and ask a friend. Or go and ask even somebody lower than you. Because that's important. That's Anava. And this is leaving over a lot of room for Minim and Apikorsim, but it's Kedai to teach us this Musashmuz. I had a little bit of a problem with this Rashi because the Rashi right before it says that this isn't the only place that we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu confers with people lower than, than him. When he's done as HaMalachim, when he judges kings, monarchs, HaKadosh Baruch Hu also consults with Pamalia Shalmala. There are some people that are in favor of this king, some people that are not in favor of this king. So we learn this lesson elsewhere. We would have been able to learn HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Midah, being nimlach with others, of, of consulting with others elsewhere. Why put it here? At this critical moment in history, when there's so much riding on this moment, and it's so important for everybody to know that there's only one God in the world, and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu alone created man, why, why use this opportunity to teach us this lesson, important as it may be, but why leave over room here? Other, let, let's learn somewhere else. There are other Makairis that if we want to learn this lesson from HaKadosh Baruch we can learn it. But at this point in time, Nasa Adam at the most important juncture in human history, Hayyim Haras Eilam, creating man, is this the time that we need to use a Lashna plural, Nasa Adam, that is so misleading for so many? And yet HaKadosh Baruch used the Lashna of Nasa Adam And what I wanted to suggest, perhaps, is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is teaching us a very important point here. This Indian of collaboration, of Nasa, of getting a group together and making a decision and doing something as one, is a primary importance specifically in the context of Nasa Adam. When we want to create another human being, what do I mean by that? I don't mean create in a physical way another human being. That also takes a Nasa, that also takes an Isha and Isha. 
But I mean more than that. I mean deeper. I mean that when a person wants to change another person, if I see another person that's not a human being right now, I see another person that's in a state of suffering, I see another person that doesn't feel relevant, that doesn't feel important, that lacks a certain self-esteem, and I want to make that person into an Adam. I want to make that person into a mensch. I want to make him finally feel good about himself. Oftentimes, it should be done in a collaboration. It should be done in a consensus form. Don't do it on your own. Get a chever together. And together you'll discuss and you'll change a person. You'll change the environment in which a person finds themselves until you finally rehabilitate that person and make him feel like an Adam. This is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us here, Nasa Adam. You know how you make a mensch? You know how you make somebody else feel good about themselves? Do it with other people. Do it together. As a group, as a chavra, as a yeshiva, as a community, as a society, you can accomplish so much in making a person feel whole. Sometimes as an individual, it's very hard to do that. But as a society, we could do that. Just to give you a, a few stories to illustrate this aside. There was a, a convention in Eretz Yisrael, a conference. And many, many Chashiva people came to this conference and two people met there at the conference. One was a very wealthy individual who was a very big philanthropist. He gave money all over the place and he came to the conference. Also attending that conference was a very big medical Askin. He had connections to every major doctor in the world, every major hospital, every major surgeon. He knew everybody. He was so well connected and he had an organization even that that was able to direct people when they needed certain medical treatments. He knew exactly where to send them. The doctors would just like stand at attention to this guy because, you know, and snap a salute to him because he was so famous and so well regarded and so well connected that every doctor in the world needed him. And so here you have two titans of industry. You have a very wealthy philanthropist and you have somebody that's completely involved in the medical field. And they took a little bit of a break from this conference and they said, let's go to the Kaisal together. Let's stop them together at the Kaisal. So they went and at the Kaisal they saw a Hasidish man davening by the Kaisal, crying bitter tears. And they just were like, stopped in their steps and they in their traps, and they just looked at this guy and they felt so bad for him. Here's a person that's davening, he probably has so many throchim. And the two of them look at one another and they say to them, to one another, you know, let's try to fix this person's life. What could he possibly be crying about? There's one of two things that people generally cry about in life. Either parnasa issues, which is very difficult. People have a hard time with Parnassah and it's very hard in this day and age 
to make ends meet with all of the expenses. Used to be that you could go to a supermarket and fill up a shopping cart and it was uh, $80, $90, $100. Today, if you fill up that same shopping cart, it's probably a lot closer to three, four, five hundred dollars Everything skyrocketed. And salaries stayed the same. So it's very hard. A lot of people are struggling financially. Maybe that's why he's crying. And so the medical doctor says to the philanthropist, if he's crying because of Parnassa, then you'll give him whatever he needs. And then the philanthropist said, fine, but I'm not convinced that it's money. I think that it's probably another reason to cry, and that's maybe he's sick, or maybe he has somebody in his family that's very ill, and he needs a good medical team. If I'm right, then you're going to be able to help him also. And they agreed on this. The end of the story is the famous part of the story, and that's why people say this story. The end of the story is they waited for the person to finish davening and walk away from the kais, and they chapped him, and they said, listen, buddy, we want to help you. Whatever you need, we're going to help you. Is it money? We'll help you. Is it refuah? We'll help you. Just tell us what it is. We're here for you. We want to save you. We want to help you. And the Hasidic guy looks at him and says, I don't need any help, he says to them. So they couldn't believe. They said, that's not true. It's impossible. Why were you crying then? He says, because last night I married off my tenth and last child. And I came to the Kaisal to thank the Rabbi Those were not tears of sorrow. Those were tears of gratitude. And that's an amazing lesson that when we have things that are going well for us, we have to thank the Rabbi Nishleilam. Don't just thank, don't just daven with tissues when, when things are terrible. Daven with tissues when things are good. And let it ride. Ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to continue his benevolence. But what I take out of the story is how wonderful these two individuals were. They wanted to make a person whole. And they heard that Baskel, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said on his Rosh Hashanah, Na'ase Adam, let us together make man. Let's make him whole together. We'll figure out a way. We'll solve his problem together. We'll make him whole again. We can make a man. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not the only Bria in the world that can make a man. We can also... We can also make a man. But we have to do it with an open, passionate heart and by saying to one another, let's do it. The Chavetz Chaim, the story goes, had a granddaughter. And the granddaughter was a little bit gechap by the maskilim. She was a, very enamored by all of the technology and the science that was going on, it was very easy to be to be convinced that the old antiquated Tyra is it's a thing of the past. In the time of the Chavetz Chaim is when all like a lot of the breakthroughs in technology were beginning. The airplane and the uh, and 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 computers and I don't know when all these things exactly started, but 
but it was like it was the it was a major enlightened moment of history. Science was evolving at a rapid pace, and a lot of the technology that we have the most advanced forms today, but it was beginning to develop back then in the early 1900s. Telephones and, and, and automobiles and, and airplanes, rockets, all of the things that, were, that we have today that we take for granted was really, there was a, an enlightenment in the world in the early 1900s, and a lot of it came about from then. And people were like going crazy over this technology. If you think people were are today going crazy over technology, but then it was so brand new. And the promise was was infinite. And the granddaughter of Chavitz Chaim was speaking to her grandfather and was saying, like, it's amazing the technology, the science, the advances that's being made. Who knows what's going to be able to be accomplished with all of this? And the Chavitz Chaim was very quick to, to dash her, her hopes in this technology. And the Chavitz Chaim said, they use technology that will kill people. They are using their technology and that technology will ultimately be used to destroy people. They will be, the Chavitz Chaim was alluding, of course, to the creation of bombs hydrogen bombs, atom bombs, nuclear bombs that will kill millions of people, Rahman al-Islam. That's what their technology is being used for. We don't use our Torah to destroy. Our Torah and our Midas and our Yerushalayim and our Halachas and our Musa are used to make man. We're not looking to destroy man. We're looking to create man. That's what we're here for. Our job in life is to listen to that baskel of Nasa Adam. We're trying to make human beings. We're trying to create people. To make a person feel whole. That's why he was put in this world. When I was learning in Eretz Yisrael, so we were learning in Kol Taira and Yerushalayim, we were learning Meseches Nedarim. And it happened to be that that same Zaman, Panovich Yeshiva, was also learning Nedarim. And I had heard so much in my high school before I went to Eretz Yisrael about Rav Shach. Rav Shach was the Gadladar. And he was a Gadla Adar that was not just a Gadla, he was the Gadla Adar. And he was a very, he was a, just an iconic figure in, in, in Klai Yisrael. Everybody was talking about him, everybody knew about him. And his speeches were very powerful, they were spread throughout the world. He had one famous speech, I, I brought it in Great Jewish Speeches because it's such a, it was such a famous speech, it was broadcast literally around the world because it was at a time when the whole world was watching him. He had a party that he started in the Knesset called Degel Atayra. Very small party. It had very small roots. Maybe it had two, three seats in the Knesset. So it didn't seem like to be such a significant party. But it happened to be that at that moment in history, the entire government's fate was riding on a track because 
the coalition was like sort of split between labor and Likud, and they, as it sometimes is, and everything was aligned, and they needed just two or three seats. Both parties were like dying to get Rav Shach's two to three seats that they should be able to form the government. And it happened to be that just at that moment in time, Rav Shach was speaking at Binyanei Omad, uh, at, the, at the major auditorium in Yerushalayim. It was like a, it was a knesia for some other thing. It wasn't related to the government. It was a tire knesia. It was just a convention to gather up uh, B'nai Taira or something. I don't know exactly what the forum was. It had nothing to do with politics. But because it was such a critical time, because Rav Shach was about to make his announcement with whom he was going to side, who, which government was going to be formed, and who would fall. So all of the media cameras around the world, not just Eretz Yisrael, the New York Times, media from all over the world came to cover Rav Shach's speech in B'nai Omad to B'nai Taira because they were trying to see if he was going to be Miramis in his speech or maybe use this as the place that he's going to announce who he was going to side with. And so it literally had coverage around the world. I have pictures of this speech in, in, uh, in my book. And he basically used this opportunity to give a Musa Shmus to the country and to the world. Not to the world at large, but to Klai Yisrael, to Bnei Yisrael about how they have to come back to their roots. It was not much like a Kirov speech, but a Musr Shmuz. A real Musr He didn't really, I don't think he alluded to, he might have alluded to, and maybe all of the, you know, the, the pundits were trying to be, to learn Shad and what Rav was saying, being Medayat in him like a Rishan, about what he meant and what he said. But, the, but at the end of the day, his speech was very, very um, impactful. Because a lot of people started discussing what he was saying about what creates Klai Yisrael as a nation and how it's only the Torah and the Torah preceded everything else. For Shach was a very powerful person, let's put it that way. And so when I came to Eretz Yisrael and I had heard so much about Rav Shach, so I wanted very much to, to see him in person. And so I asked my Rebbe for Rishos, if I may, on Tuesdays, go to leave Yeshiva and Yerushalayim and go to Panovich because Tuesday was the day that Rav gave every week a Shir Klali. And it was very famous, that Shir Klali. Rav basically worked a whole, a whole week for Tuesdays. Everybody knew, like, before, you, from Shabbos to Tuesday, you couldn't talk to him because he was so busy with thinking about what he was going to say in that Shir Klali. You know, after Tuesday, it was a little bit less, but then as it got closer to the next Tuesday, he was again completely... Immersed in the sugya that he was about to give Shir Kolion. So, anyway, my Rebbe gave me Rishus, and I used to go, not many, many times, maybe twice, three times, to, uh, to Bnebak. It wasn't an easy, you know, you had to get on buses and this and that and walk and schlep, but I wanted to at least see a few of these Shir Kolis. And it was an amazing experience. You went into a shear room, maybe it was the size of, of this space madrash, maybe a little smaller, and it was packed with Bnei Taira from Yeshiva. The whole Panovich basically came to the shear Klali, and, um, and the front row, right around Rav Shach, he was standing on a stage with a, with a shtender, and then there were like, there were, there, was, there were people that were sitting like in assigned seats, in the front row, 
and these were like the Araya Shabachaburo. These were the greatest Kail guys in Panovich. Now, Kail guys are all very chashu, but in Panovich, if you get into the Kail, you're like the top guns. Like, I don't think any, you know, few Rosh Hashivas maybe outside of Eretz Yisrael would be able to talk and learning with, with the best Kail guys in Panovich. They're, they're on such a, a high madrega that it's impossible to describe how great these Tamitacham are in Panovich. These are like not normal Tamitacham. They've been sitting, learning from, from the crib until now in their 30s, 40s. They've been learning Taira Yaimim Balaylo on the highest levels by the greatest Rosh Yeshivas. These are, these are the top guns. And then behind them are the rest of the Yeshiva. So, and what happens is it's the, it was such a bizarre experience. Because I was used to shear being like you're used to a shear being. It's basically a lecture. A Rebbe sits behind a desk, and uh, you know, and especially a shear clawly, a public shear, it wouldn't be appropriate for somebody to all of a sudden start raising his hand in the middle of shear. I mean, maybe you know some shear, but some forums you realize that it's not open for the for public discussion. It's, he's giving a shear after shear, you can go over and and hock him up if you want. But that's but during shear, it has to be quiet. Rav Shach started saying something, and he said like, uh, so I didn't even, it was barely audible, I didn't even know anyone could hear it, but he started, and he said in a very unclear way, he was an old man by then, he was already probably in his mid-90s, and he started saying, and all of a sudden there was like a, an explosion in the room, and people started screaming at him. These, you know, the the arayas, all the lions started getting up and screaming, Mamasha, as if you know. And Rav Shach would like fight back with them. And it was, and everybody else was tumbling in the room to one another, and how you know if it's right, if it's wrong, and rayas here, rayas there. And it was like an incredible thing to see. I got so startled at first, and then you get used to it. But like, it's Mamasha. He speaks for like a few minutes, and all of a sudden there was an eruption. And this is how it went. So there was a story that's told in this Shir Klali that Rav Shach, in the middle of Shir Klali, he said, and there's a Rav Eger that speaks about this, and does anyone know where that Rav Eger is? So all of the, there's a big tumble, everybody's like tumbling about where the Subkivega is, I don't know, and then, you know, even the, the greatest guys in Pandu, they didn't, they didn't know the Subkivega. And there was a boy in the middle of the room, let's call him Ruven, and he happened to have a Chuva Subkivega, and he, he steps up. Beyond all the, the Chashuvim, all the Kailo guys, Bachar. He walks right past them, and everybody's like staring and giving him that look. And he hands her shaf in the middle of Shir, he opens the place, Chuvas of Kiveger, and there it is, the Kiveger that Rav Shach was alluding to. And everybody is like, whoa. You know, all these guys that have been learning 40 years, they see this like 18 year old Bachar, 20 year old Bachar, and he trumped everybody. And he brought Rav Shach, the Chuvas of Kiveger, and Rav Shach like gives him like a smile, like his Chenetik his smile. And he goes back to his seat and he feels good. Nobody in the room knew what the story behind the story was except for Rav Shach. 
and another bacher in the room by the name of Akiva. See, what happened was that this bacher Ruven was a... He was a good boy. He's a good boy, fine boy. Not at all from the chashuvim of the Panovich Rekailal. But good, he tried and he was working hard. And he was dating. And he was going out with a girl for a long time. And he was about to get engaged and he was very excited. And at the last minute, this girl decided that he wasn't for her. And, and it was crushing. It was pure and utter rejection. And Reuven took it very hard. He didn't come to yeshiva for a few weeks. He was just staying in his dorm room, depressed, crying. He felt so broken. And Rav Shach noticed that Reuven wasn't coming to yeshiva. See, Rav Shach wasn't just concerned with Klal Yisrael. He was also concerned with Reb Yisrael, with the Yid, with the individual. And he noticed when this Reuven wasn't coming. So he called his Chavrusa Akiva over. And he says, what's with Reuven? Where is he? He says he's very depressed. He was going out with a girl. The girl dumped him. And he can't live. He's like, he's ice man. He's not, he's not able to survive. He's, he's like, he's in his room. So Shah says, look, you have to get him out of bed. Try to learn with him. And sure enough, Taka, he, he brought him back to the base medrash. And they were learning together a little bit. And Reuven was starting to be rehabilitated, but he was still very depressed. And Rishach called over Akiva on Monday. And he says, how's it going? I see he's back a little bit. How's his matzavruach? He says, he's not there yet. Still needs a lot of work. He still needs a lot of physic. So Shach says, "No." He says, "We have to make him happy. We have to try to make him happy. We have to rebuild him." He says, "What do you What did you learn today in, in First Seder? Tell me what you learned." He says, "We found a very interesting, obscure kivager somewhere." just happened to be looking at a sugya and, and we were looking at this Rebbe Kivega, it was very interesting, we never saw it's not a famous Rebbe Kivega but we happened to come across it and we were, we were spending time on it he says, perfect and Rav Shach created a shear for Reuven and in the middle of the shear Knowing that Reuven was the only person in the room at that time that would probably be aware of that of Kivager, he wove Kivager into the Shir, and that's when he said, "Does anyone know where that Kivager is?" And Reuven got up with his chuvas of Kivager and brought it forth, and he felt like a mensch. And everybody looked at him differently in Panovich from that day on. And that's what gave him the ability to go on and to gain strength. Because if Shach collaborated with Akiva and they were Nasta Adam, they created a person. Together they created a human being. They took Shivrei Kalim and they were able to glue him back together and make him into a whole, a whole human being once again. 
And that's the tachlis of Rosh Hashanah. The tachlis of Rosh Hashanah is to go back in time to the day that Hayyim HaRasayim, the day that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created man with that eternal statement that applies as much today as it did then, if not more today. Because there are so many Shivrei Kalim around. There are so many people that need chizuk, that need strength, that need encouragement. And it's our job as a community of the yeshiva to say Nasa Adam. There is a great Gain, who was the chief rabbi of Montreal, Canada. He was a Talmud of Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin. But he wasn't just a Talmud, I believe he was a Beichen in Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin. To be a Talmud in Yeshiva's Chachmei Lublin, Rameyer Shapiro's great revolutionary Yeshiva, I believe he needed to know either 200 or 250 black Gemara Balpeh to get in. That was the admission cost. Now, to be the Beichen in the Yeshiva Chachmei Lublin, the guy that tests who knows the 250 blot of, of, of Shas, presumably knows Shas Palpeh. If you're testing, then obviously you know it. So here was a young man who knew Shas Palpeh. Not only Shas, he knew Gemara Rashi Paisus Palpeh. He knew Shulchan Aruch Balpeh. He knew the Nisei Kalim Balpeh. He knew Rambam. He knew everything Balpeh. And his name was Erpinchas Hirschprung. Erpinchas Hirschprung was a famous guy. Everybody knew. He knew every. I I I, I met him at, on at least once or twice, two occasions, because I was friendly with his son. And um, every time he met you, right after you told him his name, your name, he didn't say, where are you living, and what do you do, and where they're, you know, like we do. He says, what are you learning? What are you learning? So you could be learning anywhere, wherever, whatever it was. You want to say you're learning Dafyam, you want to say you're learning, um, you know, Baba Kama, you're, up, you're learning Suvas, you're learning Shabbos, you're learning Zvachim, you're learning Nakhil, what the as soon as you said he would start rattling off the entire sugya and then he would start telling you chidushim on that daf all in real time he didn't know he's not a mentalist he didn't know in advance you know, what you were learning whatever daf it was in Shas he had tire on it and he knew it clar And as great as a guy as he was, but he was also a very great tzaddik, as often we find that Gainus and Sidkus by Klal Yisrael go hand in hand. And his son once told him that there's a, a wonderful Bentaira, a young boy in, in the community who his parents do not have money. And he very much wanted a new pair of shoes. Yontif was coming and he wanted a new pair of shoes and he asked his parents for a pair of shoes and his parents said, I'm sorry, Yossi, we'd love to give it to you, we just don't have the money. We're lucky if we could put food on the table, we can't afford a pair of shoes. And 
the son was very disappointed. He didn't want to walk around in his tattered shoes on Yantif. So Rav Hirschbrunk's son found out about this somehow, and he told his father about this. And his father wanted to rectify the situation. He wanted to get a pair of shoes to this boy. So he asked his son, how much does a pair of shoes cost? Her first one was completely mufka from Elam Haza. He didn't know money. He, has no, he had no concept of money. I went once to their house. Their house was mamish, you know, an ear, a, a, a bias mole sarim. From There were shelves of sarim, but more than the sarim on the shelves, the coffee table was stacked this high with, with svarim. The couch had svarim, and the, the coffee table had svarim, and the, everywhere you look was svarim. There was once a parliament meeting in the Hirschprung home, and, and there were two balabatim that were discussing somebody about how wealthy a certain person is, and he has this much money, no, he has that much money. He's this successful, he's that successful, he's this, he bought, you know, you know, this stock very early, and he made a killing, and this, that. And Rav Hirschman, like looks to his son and he says to him, can you believe that they're talking about money in my house? Can you believe in my house they're talking about money? It's a bias of Tyra. What are you obsessing about money? You're talking about, you're having conversation about money in my house? Rav Hirschman had no shaykh as Tyra Mahazi. He had no shaykh as the money. But suddenly he did, he says, tell me, how much is the pair of shoes that he wants to buy? How much does such a pair cost? So his son said $60. $60 for that shoe, pair of shoes. So Hirschman thought for a second. He didn't want to give the father $60 because that would be very embarrassing. He didn't want to give the boy $60 because, because the parents are going to realize that you know something's up. So Rav Hirschman did something brilliant. He went to the shul where he knew that the father and the son were going to be davening that night. He didn't normally daven in that shul. He davened in a different shul in Montreal. But he went to that specific shul and he just, um, he happened to, you know, quote unquote, just happened to be in that shul. And then he went over after davening, after Marv, and he said to this fellow bus, for the son, says, could you please give me a ride home? Said, of course, to give the, the Rav Rashi a ride home, of course, would be my biggest pleasure, my biggest honor. So Rav Hirschman was sitting in the passenger seat, and this Balabas's son, this, the, boy, the boy that needed the shoes, he was sitting in the back seat. And Rav Hirschman Kedarka started talking to the son, and he says, what are you learning? says, oh, I'm learning Ksuvas. says, which daf in Ksuvas? Daf Dawid. And the first one starts asking him, you know, what is the, you know, what, what does the Gemara say? Tells him what the Gemara says. What does Rashi say on that? So the Rashi, Tysus? Yeah, Tysus argues with Rashi. Are there any other Rishayim that argue with Rashi? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a Rashbam, there's a Ritva, and the Raman says this way. And the first one was like glowing. Here's a bacher that really is holding and learning. He's getting his rabbi shir really good. And if Hirschsprung looks to the driver, to the father of the boy, and he says, your son, Mamish, knows Gemara, Rashi, Taisus, Rishonim. He knows it so clear. 
says, would you mind if I would give him a prize because he knows it so well? Stop says, no. Takes out of his packet $60 and hands it to the boy. Says, you earned the $60. And with that, the boy was able to be an Adam again. Nasa Adam is the message of Rosh Hashanah. When we blow the shayfar and we sing Hayyim Haras Ailam, the world was created, it doesn't mean that it's the birthday of the world. We said that it's not. It's the birthday of Adam. It's the day that man was created. HaKadosh Baruch created Adam and we have to follow him. The Alakta Bedracha means that whatever we find HaKadosh Baruch Hu doing, we have to follow suit. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to the Malachim, Nasa Adam, let us make man, we also have to figure out a way together to make a mensch, to make somebody that doesn't feel good, to, say, to make somebody that's in a shas sorrow, to be whole again, to be human again, to feel like an Adam. There have been times in yeshiva that Bachram have come to me and they've told me about individuals that are not doing well. It's not a secret that in every yeshiva today in the world there are people that are suffering. Not just in yeshiva, but we're in yeshiva so we're talking about the yeshiva. There are people all over the world that are suffering. There are yidden that are suffering in every which way. Every shul, every block, every house. There is no house that's not affected by children that are that are troubled. Children that have questions in Amuna. Children that have addictions. Children that have mental disorders, depression. Every family knows of such people within their family. Every shul knows of such children and some adults in their shul. And every yeshiva has that. And there are so many people that need our help. The Reuvens that are depressed and sad and are not coming to the base matters because of a myriad of reasons social and economical, medical. And there have been Bakram that come to me and say, what can we do? We have a roommate that's not coming. He just stays in his room all day. He's sad about something. And what we've done is, Nasa Adam, we figured out ways to to make those people whole. Go out to eat with them. Go bowling with them. Take a walk with them. Make a chavrusa shaft with them. Figure out a way to get them money. Figure out a way to make shalom between people if that's the problem. 
every single person has this obligation of Nasa Adam. There's such beautiful stories that are told. We've spoken about Rav Shach, and we've spoken about Rav Hirshbrun. These are G'dayle Elam, and sometimes it might be beautiful stories, but it's easy to say, well, you know, obviously, they're great people. I'm not, I'm not the Gadol I don't have the responsibility to fix every single person's problems. But we really do. We really have that same responsibility to make people whole. I saw recently a beautiful story about um, children, young American children in a camp in the mountains, in the Catskill Mountains, and that there was a an announcement at the beginning of the summer that they're doing a special raffle. How do you get a raffle ticket that will be announced at the end of the summer? They're going to draw the raffle at the end of the summer. Your raffle ticket is for every hour of learning that you do on Shabbos throughout the course of the summer, you write, you get one raffle ticket and you could write your name on that raffle ticket and it goes into a pond at the end of the summer whoever's name is chosen from this group from this pot of hundreds and hundreds of raffle tickets will be able to get a horseback ride in camp that was a big deal going a horseback ride in camp you were going to be it now, all the kids thought it was cool to be, have a horseback ride, but there was one kid from Antwerp, Belgium, and he started jumping up and down as soon as he heard the head counselor say that you have the opportunity to go, now, I love horseback riding, I, w- I wish I could win that horseback ride. And everybody like noticed that this guy really wanted it so bad, they didn't realize why, but he must really like horses, and, and so, but everybody noticed that this guy was especially excited to win that raffle. And everybody learned on Shabbos and they were amassing many, many raffle tickets. Every buffer in the camp that was learning and every hour that was being learned, they get another raffle ticket, another raffle ticket, another raffle ticket. And at the end of the summer, the last day of camp, the head counselor chooses the raffle for this horseback ride that was going to be happening right then and there. And who was it but this boy from Antwerp? He won. And he was jumping up and down. He was so excited. He was so happy. And people were like pretty impressed that they remembered at the beginning of the summer it was this guy that was so happy to, he was so excited at the prospect of winning this raffle and that him of all the, Rome, the the camp that it took place in was Camp Romo it's one of the biggest camps in the mountains it's huge, I went there once it's mamish, there's like, normally camps have like, uh, I don't know 30 bunkhouses this has like 100 bunkhouses like a, a camp of 7, 8, 900 kids, maybe more, it's a huge camp and out of all of those campers you can imagine there were thousands of raffle tickets and this boy should have won out of all the campers. Something was, was funny there. And they did a little research. 
and they found that a lot of the boys in his bunk, if not the entire bunk, when they saw how excited this boy from Belgium was about winning this raffle, what they did was they took all of their raffle tickets, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of raffle tickets, and instead of writing their own personal names on it, they all agreed together that they write this boy's name from Antwerp. And that's how they enabled him to win the prize. Little boys, these aren't Gedele Israel yet. These aren't people in their 30s, people in their 20s. These are teenagers, if not younger. And they all together collaborated, conspired, if you will, to fix the raffle so that this boy should win. This is Masa Adam. This is our moral, ethical, Yiddish responsibility towards others. We don't look at other people and say, well, I'm just happy that I'm not him, he's not in my chevra, I have my own chevra, I'm happy with them, they're normal, they're well-adjusted, they're perfect, and that's who I hang out with. I don't want to deal with other people, with their problems. HaKadosh Baruch said, Nasa Adam, when you make a man, you have to do it together. You have to invite people into your circle. You have to bring people into your chabura. You can't ignore people. You know, nobody likes to triple up when you're a chabrusa. Everybody likes a chabrusa shop that's just me and my chabrusa, and that's it. We get to talk and learn it. We get to, you know, you read, I read. We have a relationship. Nobody likes that third wheel. So we're learning together. Me and my chabrusa. Now, every shir in this yeshiva, I know, has yechidim that do not have a chavrusa. Do you know how hard it is to not have a chavrusa? Do you know how hard it is to come to a base medrash and to sit in your seat alone, knowing that all the chavrusas were just happened to, you know, magically get, get, get paired up except for you? Very hurtful. It's devastating in a way. Now, obviously, there are some people that don't like learning with Chabrusa, so, okay, there are Yechidim that just prefer not throwing the Chabrusa, fine. But there are many people that they want a Chabrusa, they're in Yeshiva, and they deserve a Chabrusa, but they don't have a Chabrusa. And you see that there's a guy that's sitting there sad, or he's not sitting there at all because he's embarrassed because he doesn't have a Chabrusa. Now, I know that it's not Gishmak to learn with three people together. It doesn't always fit. There's not the ebb and flow of a Chavrusa shop. I get it. But isn't it Kedai to put that on the side so that we can maybe resuscitate a human being? Can it make the difference between a person's Hatzlachen learning and not Hatzlachen learning if you're able to actually say, come learn with us, Nasa Adam. Let's make you a man. We want you to be part of our Chavrusa. Is that the end of the world for us? Does that hurt us? Does it take away from our learning so much that it's die to let people flounder and drown on their own in the base medrash? How many guys have come to me at this man alone? Forget about since I started here. This man alone, I've gotten many, many individual guys that came and said, Rabbi, I don't have a chavrusa. Can you find me a chavrusa? I got phone calls 
from parents. My son is so depressed because he can't find a chavrusa. I called his rebbe, I called his this, I called his that. No one's helping out. Can you help out? He needs a chavrusa. Laman Hashem, and they're right. What should we do? I should create a gaiwam to learn with this guy? Is that the eighth I should, I should I should become the maral? In order to get a guy a chavrusa, I have to start creating new people. I have to hire Kyola guys to learn. Why can't we, as a community, as a society, would it be terrible if we'd be able to triple up just so that a person feels like a mensch? Is it asking so much? Do you realize that that could be the difference between the boy's life and the boy's lack of life? Do you realize how you could be daima l'shchina when you uplift a person? Like the Rambam writes famously in Hilchas Megillah when he says that as great as the mitzvah of Mishlech Manes is, the mitzvah of Matanes Yayim is even greater because when, you're, when you give to an Ani something that he needs, you're being Mechayim Mason. You're taking the depressed, the crushed, and you're breathing life into him. And the Rambam continues and he says, that it's Daimel You're doing God's work when you're able to take a person and revive him and resuscitate him and make him feel like a man. You take an honey and you give him a few dollars so he could afford to buy a meal and feel a little good about himself. He could afford a pair of shoes and a shirt and a hat. That's not tzedakah. That's doing God's work. You're Daimel says the Rambam. This is our responsibility. When we go into Rosh Hashanah, you can get your new master, and you can get your apple and your honey, and you can get all the simonim, and you can daven a beautiful davening, and you can blow a beautiful shaifer. But if you're not working on the Hayyayim HaRasaylam, if you're not able to understand going into Yavadin, how important it is to be Mekayim, the mitzvah of the Rabbeinu Shalom of Naseh Adam. I want to create human beings this year. I want to see a human being and I want to rebuild him. I want to make him whole. I want to make him healthy. I want to make him happy. So that he can flourish, not just me. So that he can succeed, not just me. So he can breathe. That he can fly, he can soar. He can accomplish great things in his life. I can make that happen. Nasa Adam. As human beings, as Yidin, as B'nai Tyre, we have this obligation on us, whether we like it or not, to help other people. When we see that people are not succeeding, we can make them successful. And then they will get married. And then they will have a family. And then they will have children and grandchildren. And Talmidin. And it will all be on your merit because you were the one that created him. Yes, he has parents. But you were the key factor in his life to making him whole again. Let him look in a mirror and saying, wow, I'm an Adam. I'm a mensch. People care about me. People like me. People appreciate me. That's Rosh Hashanah.
This is what Rosh Hashanah is, Rabbi say. Nothing else. Everything else is icing on the cake, but this is the cake. It's the ability to take another mensch on his birthday and make him feel special. Just want to conclude with a bracha to all of us and all call Yisrael that it should be a year of of Hatzlocha and Gizunt and Parnasa and, and Tyra and Yerushamayim but not just for ourselves I'm not giving you that bracha just for you but I'm giving you that bracha that you should be at Sinar yourself to take all of those brachas that you're going to be given in Mitzvah Hashem by the Ravani Hashem Tavshanai and Zion and to spread out from you Yafutsu Maynasecha Chutzah take all the blessings that the Ravani Hashem gave you and share them with others share your Chachma share your sensitivity share your Aisher share your Kavid share with others if you're able to give of yourself to others, the Rabbi Hashem will give you more into your tzina. He sees that you're the greatest conduit around to be mashpia on others, so he'll give you so much more because you've proven yourself. Let this be a year of Nasa Adam on Hayyim Haras Let's Taka create a brand new world.